0: Hello, and welcome to the Steve Barkley Ponders Out Loud podcast. Instructional coaches and leaders create the environment that supports teachers to continually imagine, grow, and achieve. They model an excitement for learning that teachers in turn model for students. This podcast is dedicated to promoting the important aspects of instructional leadership. Thanks for listening. I'm thrilled you're here. Continuous Teacher Growth. Joining our podcast today is Dr. Jennifer Ricks, who is the Director of Learning at the American Community School in Abu Dhabi. During the past several months, Jen and I have been part of NISA's Innovation and International School Series. NISA is the Near East South Asia Council of Overseas Schools. The strand that Jen and I took part in focused on effective teacher growth and appraisal models. And we recently met with the other strands who were focused on flexible time, space, and agency, transdisciplinary and interdisciplinary goals, and uh, also a, a focus on on uh, on deeper learning. Welcome, Jen.
1: Thanks, Steve. I'm happy to be here.
0: I, I'm wondering, for starters, if you'd tell people... Just a little bit about ACS Abu Dhabi and, and your role as uh, director of learning.
1: Yeah, so ACS Abu Dhabi has been around for fifty years. The country has been around for fifty one years. So we are we we grew up together. We are affiliated with the U.S. Embassy in Abu Dhabi, and we are one of the few nonprofit schools in the country. We are home to about 1200 students from 80 different nationalities, K to 12. We have about 140 teachers from about 60 countries. Most of them are North American. We do have American curricular frameworks, particularly K to 10. So we follow those same frameworks that any uh, U.S. school would follow. And then in 11 and 12, we also offer the IB Diploma Program, and we have begun offering some advanced placement courses as well.
0: How long have you been there, Jen?
1: This is my sixth year And I serve as the director of learning. And so that role can look different in a lot of different schools. Here, really, it's um, ultimately being responsible for the educational programs for students. So particularly those things that cross divisions. So we have two divisional principals, elementary, middle and high. And then our office, the Office of Learning, runs K-12. And so we're responsible for essentially the fidelity of that American curricular program that we provide to our families. And then our office is responsible for professional learning. So all of the learning for both adults and students is a part of the office of learning.
0: So what, what led the the team that uh, you brought to, uh, to, to Nisa to join in on the strand that was focused on teacher professional growth and appraisal.
1: As you know, it's something that we have been grappling with really for almost the entirety of my six years (laughs) at ACS. And so when I came, I actually came with a new middle school principal and high school principal. We came at the same time. And the high school principal, Amy Green, in particular, was just um, not used to working in a very traditional really true appraisal and evaluation models, something similar to the Danielson model, which is what had been in place at ACS Abu Dhabi for many years. And I would say that many people felt it was quite successful, particularly our elementary principal at the time. He felt that it was successful. He felt that it provided exactly what teachers needed and teachers felt pretty good about it in the elementary school. And so we began those conversations as there were some shifts in In our leadership team but of course you know the first year or so you're just kind of asking questions getting the lay of the land figuring out where things are and we did make some shifts to professional learning in general and so you know everyone gives you that advice oh for the first three months you're in a role just sort of hang back ask a lot of questions talk to folks build relationships and all i kept hearing during my two transition visits to the school and the first almost from the day I arrived was, we do not like professional learning, it is not the right way. And so I thought, oh my goodness, I have to do something about this here pretty quickly. So I began a process that really coincided with a lot of this work around what ultimately became our professional growth model in thinking about the way we use time and money in terms of educator learning and so we are a fairly well-resourced school we had we relied a lot on consultants on campus folks like you other folks that have long-term relationships with the school many of whom i knew from my work in a similar role at the international school of beijing so i knew so many people who were already working with the school And so, you know, that was a model that we had a lot of that job embedded work, but a lot of the teachers felt like they weren't getting their needs met because there was a specific amount for each teacher. So it was $750 a year. You could roll it over for three years. The thing was, it was in this pot of money that was somehow protected so if you steve don't use your 750 and it you just sit it just sits there i can't give it to joe over here who needs it and so i just really saw this as a problem and a lot of the work wasn't being embedded in the right way there wasn't clarity perhaps around process so i said in a, on about month two hey who would be interested in joining me and thinking about the way we spend time and money around professional learning for adults? 75 people should up <laughs> at lunch after school, and on the weekend. <laughs> that, that that's a validated. sign that there's a need. Yeah. And so we, we developed these professional learning core beliefs and they were very much tied to our other foundational documents. I know people in similar roles to mine who have made that shift away from money that's designated just for one person to a pot of money. And they said, oh, you need to be careful. Oh, wait, do that the year that you're leaving. <laughs> and so I, was, I was a little concerned, but actually once I showed people the statistics You know, we had only about 30 percent of the people using their money and the rest of it was sitting there and I couldn't use it on people who really wanted it. So this was sort of the start of some initial steps, really thinking about the way we're allowing teachers to design that path forward and the ones who really want to grow and do lots of things, making it possible. So we started that. We continued that first year to use this. It's called TPAS was the acronym for it. So Teacher Performance Appraisal System is what we had in place. And I will say that it was implemented with uh, differing degrees of fidelity in mm-hmm. different divisions because truly Very for confident. Amy, yeah, Amy uh, in the high school, like it, it really hit against her core values. Like it just didn't feel right to her. She, she, she didn't, she obviously is not the kind of person who's going to buck up against the system, but it didn't feel right. So we began those conversations as a leadership team and, and, you know, we were still jailing as a team. We then got a new superintendent that second year. So there was a lot happening, but One of the things that really helped us was a new strategic plan, which we put in place five years ago, the first year that Monique Flickinger came as our superintendent. And one of the pieces there was to have a flexible, engaging core curriculum that allows students choice, right? And so, as a part of that, this is actually where that subset of the growth model came in because we said, if we're going to have this flexible engaging innovative core curriculum we need teachers who can do that and we need to give them feedback on the way in which we're doing it and so that set the stage there about 5 years ago
0: let, let me let me connect this cuz at the the conference you you presented a chart where yep. you talked about some of the differences between the appraisal evaluation process and and the growth process uh, yeah. And I, I I thought that it, 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 I thought just did a great job of letting people think through differences and what they want to focus on and what they want to accomplish. So I'm wondering if you can walk us through that.
1: Yeah. So when you think about, and I'm just going to refer to it as TPAFs, that was the the system that we had. It was very much administrator driven, right? That was so, the,
0: it was the evaluation system.
1: Yeah, yeah it was okay. evaluation, right? And so there were, formal observations you created a goal you had that initial meeting with your administrator it was very much one size fits all so everybody did the same thing you had the same three uh, observations the meetings with your principal or your assistant principal it was focused on teachers so not on students it was an individual goal so while we really believe in building a collaborative culture, and we prioritize collaborative planning time. This was happening individually, so you might not even know what your teaching partner's goal is because there wasn't an opportunity or space to have those conversations unless they were just happening naturally. And the emphasis truly was on accountability and management, right? And in a school like our elementary school is the same size as middle and high put together. So you've got principals trying to go through this massive system with you know seventy teachers uh, multiple times a year, and it just felt like for those who who were not feeling successful, and it, it could feel like jumping through hoops,
0: right? So as you switch the focus, what are the what are those changes that come into play?
1: It's really driven more by teachers, so not just what do they want to learn? but what do their students need them
0: to learn? Music to my ears.
1: I can't imagine where I've heard this before. Um, But, you know, what do my students need me to learn? So much more focused on students. So, you know, there's nothing wrong in theory with an educator saying, hey, you know, I'm really interested in learning a whole bunch more about, brain research in adolescence and there's this new book that came out and i want to read it i mean that's great that is fabulous i'm so happy you want to read that what specifically is that going to bring to the students in your classroom and impact their learning and their learning environment so we had i would say goals in the previous model that certainly benefited the educators in many cases they weren't directly connected to student learning we we also in the new model made it collaborative so every single pathway that we came up with you were working on that with someone else you're having conversations with someone else so it's interesting that accountability piece that was only to your principal or assistant principal in the previous model you're, I guess, in a sense, accountable to your colleagues, because I don't want to show up to a conversation. And say, yes, Steve, it's been great the last three weeks since I saw you Oh, I did. This. Yeah, I haven't done anything about my goal. So it, it is collaborative. And we are very much, uh, we've invested heavily in adaptive schools, in cognitive coaching, um, in critical friends, groups, things like that. And, and it's really important that we are collaborating and we have prioritized that in our schedule. So why would we not have this model exactly what we want for the other pieces? And then finally, the emphasis on growth and flourishing. So very much that positive mindset, not coming from sort of a deficit model and you must do these things to tick off this box, right?
0: So I know that as you uh, as you look to implementation, you built some teacher choice in with uh, three different uh, pathways. So I want to label for folks the, the pathways that you used.
1: Yeah. And I will actually take you through an interim step. This is one case where COVID actually helped us with something because <laughs> during COVID, when COVID hit in March 2020, we were, you know two-thirds of the way through a school year of this very traditional model, and of course, there was all kinds of new learning that we needed to do to shift to going remote, and we wanted to honor all of that learning that teachers were doing, honor wellness and balance, and that first spring at the end of the year, we just developed a couple of reflective questions, and that's how we ended up the year. So it was this interim step without saying it was an interim step. Well, of course, like everyone else, we thought COVID would just be over. It was this thing, and you know, it would last a few months, and then it didn't. And so the next year, we started the year with really just a much looser kind of question and it really remained the basis of what we ended up with like you know what's something you're really passionate about you want to learn that you know will impact the learning in your classroom so we had a couple of questions like that it was come up with that question learn something you know it's the cycle we're all familiar with it's kind of a PLC cycle it's that talk to some other folks about it connect with others try some things come back Talk about it some more. So that second year of COVID or the first full year, we did that and it was truly a blessing in disguise because that was our model because there wasn't really a way to do this traditional model. At that time, it really rose to the surface with the principles like, yes, we're ready. We're gonna do this work. We're gonna revamp everything. And you know, like everyone else, during COVID, all we did was plan things that never happened because we spent our time changing schedules or thinking about, is this school going to be on campus or no, we're not, or no, we need to put stickers that keep kids two meters away or, you know, so we continued to have it as a priority, but it, it got a little lower on the list. So for really about a year and a half, We just had these reflective questions that sort of served as our model. We did at least say very intentionally by that second year, this is an interim step to a professional growth model. So we were explicit about saying that each time. All right. So then let's go back to last year when we began working with you again very closely and saying, Steve, we need some help. We're getting close. We're finally going to do this thing. It feels like we're going to be back face to face because the way the UAE handled COVID, our elementary school pretty much was only off campus that first March through the end of the year. Then the elementary school was on campus, but we couldn't even be in the same room with people. So the collaborative piece, I mean, it's incredibly difficult to have conversations about your students, to be trusting and raw and talk about things that perhaps you're struggling with in your classroom on a screen, right? And so we felt like we were in the right place. We committed and said, all right, choice is really, really important for us. How can we develop these three pathways? And so We spent quite a bit of time together and ultimately came to three pathways. The critical friends, the CFG pathway, so critical friends group. We invested in training 16 people who could be critical friends group coaches. We had no idea how many people would be in this pathway, but Dave Nelson, who is a dear friend of NISA and who is the high school principal in Athens is a CFG trainer and he came and worked with our school and 15 is the max amount you could have. And so people really responded very well. It also aligns so closely with our work around adaptive schools. Right. So this was one of our pathways CFG. The second pathway in the initial kind of years worth of conversations, we really envisioned it as being a peer coaching pathway. What it evolved into was a peer observation pathway. And I think it was good enough for now. People who had not perhaps been in each other's classrooms or had folks in their classrooms, that was happening. And they learned about giving and receiving feedback. So they went through and did some of the work around Ellie Severson's book, tell me so I can hear you. I think that's the title of it. Something to that effect, you know, around like, how do I best hear feedback? What do I need? And if someone's coming into my room, what might I ask them to give me feedback on based on my goals? And so, that that was a pathway again not exactly what we envisioned but certainly that was the second pathway and then the third which really was designed to be the most flexible was just called area of practice so you came up with whatever your goal was you were with a three to four like-minded individuals and you did some journaling you collected evidence. It's very much like a PLC model. You came back together, you talked about the work. So the way we did this logistically is that people develop their goals and you and I have had many conversations about this and we'll talk about this when we get to uh, what did we do wrong? (laughs) But people develop their goal and it was really around what's your hunch about what your students need you to learn so as we launched in august during those pre-service days we said hey yeah we're guess what we're launching this new professional growth model what are you supposed to do the first five weeks the same thing you always do get to know your students talk to them collect evidence figure out where they are as learners see what they're doing well, see where they need to grow and develop some hunches around what your students need from you, right? So across all the pathways, that's what we said. And then in like the first week of October, we rolled out these three pathways and we said, based on you know this goal, what's your hunch? Your students need you to learn. And then we did a little pitch, almost like you know a TED talk, maybe five, 10 minutes on each of the three pathways. Which of those based on your personal style that you learn and your goal, what might be best for you to accomplish this pathway? So then we launched the pathways. We have six principles. So two principles were the leaders of each cohort group. We met initially as a cohort. So all the CFG people met together, all of the area of practice, all of the peer observation when they put in their goals or punches or whatever they also tagged uh we had a list of common hashtags things like assessment differentiation you know, simple things that we would all um, come up with a list. And then basically that helped me do a sort. And so I did a first sort, really, of all those groups, gave them to the two principals who were responsible for the cohorts and just said, hey, will you do a double check on this? Do you know if perhaps so-and-so is maybe not the best collaborator with so-and-so? Like we, we kind of personalized a little bit, but we tried to have people... With some similarities in the work that they were doing, some teams, for example, grade three, chose to have a common goal and work together in the same way. So those were the three pathways. We launched them, and then we had a mix of, first, you work together in this whole cohort. So everyone who was doing CFG found out about what the pathway was going to look like. They found out about the dates that they were meeting. We said, here's your first agenda for your initial meeting, go forth and conquer. We had an internal website where the agendas were kept, where different uh, resources for each of the pathways were. So we had that in process. Another big commitment, as you can imagine, because we tuned this the year before, maybe four times twice with our learning leaders, so department chairs, all the middle-level leaders, twice with the full faculty, and the thing that came up was time, time, time. Do not put another thing on our plate. So our commitment was that this would fit into professional learning days and or the time that we had on the afternoons. So the UAE switched the work week, in the midst of all of this from a Sunday to Thursday week to a Monday to Friday, half day on Friday week. We lost all of our professional learning time because we had worked so hard to get a Tuesday early release for students. So we had two solid hours of professional learning. So this was difficult, but we managed to have this year enough time where teams could meet. So that's what it looked like. Critical friends group, peer observation, area of practice built into time that was already allocated for some types of collaboration. Everyone had a goal and then a process by which to engage in that work with others. Everything was collaborative.
0: So you know that I can't let you talk about having done anything wrong. So <laughs> we'll rephrase that question to uh, some of the things that you learned. Some of the things that you learned in your first yeah. iteration of the uh, of implementation.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so it's really interesting. And and I and I've said this before, and I'm not saying anything that I haven't said that the six principles and I haven't talked about. But um, because the timing of it and needing to roll this out. We weren't able to spend the time kind of coming back together as a group of collaborators ourselves. And we had to just dive into this work because we also hadn't been able to meet face to face. And we had some new group members. And so I'm the one who facilitates that team. And I think we thought we could just boom, dig into this task, get it done, roll this out in October. And then we would sort of back up and come together and do all those things that we know and believe in. And we really struggled to produce high quality work together as seven people without doing having all those conversations about work style, workflow, timing, things like that. And so that was one thing that was a struggle for us as the team kind of coming up with a lot of these ideas. The second piece was that we developed this whole process very detailed because some of us are very much uh, big idea people and some of us are very much, I need to know all the logistics and that's where I'm going to focus. We developed this whole protocol to help teams develop their goals to tune it with a table full of their peers. And it was scheduled to happen. And literally the night before, a couple members of the team had reservations and said, yes, this doesn't seem right. This this feels sort of condescending. This people know how to, educators know how to make goals. And, and we don't, we don't, we shouldn't spend our time on this. And we didn't. And um, in the future, we will spend more time having conversations about those. Because when you look at the goals, some of them either weren't necessarily student focused, they were either too big or too little. So it was something that you could accomplish, you know, in a month or so, or it was something that take you three years to do. Um, Or it was something that yes it's a valid thing and and it's great that you want to engage in this learning but tell me about the students in your class so i had people in the summer sending me messages hey i got my group together i know what we're going to work on can you order this book and i'm thinking uh you hadn't met your students so why do you already have a goal? And why am I ordering these books for you when this should be based on the students in your classroom? So we definitely are going to invest more in conversations. And I think we figured out some ways where we can tap into everyone in our office, the coaches, the coordinators, um, other people who have coaching training to not just have that on the six principles so that everyone gets to have a conversation. We're we're coming back together after our spring break to tune a couple of ideas about ways we can utilize our grade level leaders in some of that work because we do invest heavily in them with adaptive schools training. We do some support sessions for them on some cognitive coaching. We do some other things. So I think they would be really great to do this, but it's a uh, it was something that we we could we needed to have spent more time on this year.
0: One of the uh, phrases I I found uh, helping a little bit with the goal setting was getting people to separate what I called discipline goals from learning goals. So I labeled discipline as something that you know that you should be doing and you aren't doing it. And So it's like uh, you know, a teacher, will, a teacher will set a goal to uh, to uh, increase the number of formative uh, uh, assessments that they they've implemented, and it's something they know they should be doing. They know how to do it. Then that really doesn't make a professional growth goal.
1: Sure, it's like when you say, "I need to be in better shape," therefore I should. <laughs> Walk every that, day and that, eat less. That, that, that's that's, that's not, a discipline goal. I don't need yeah. some specific yeah. goal to, I just yeah. need to get off
0: But, but, but know, if, my
1: bottom if, and do that. But,
0: but, <laughs> but if but if, if if as a teacher I, I said I, I, I need to get the kids more engaged in uh in goal setting and and I think uh I think formative assessments that gave kids feedback could lead to getting kids more engaged in that goal setting and what I'm going to track is whether my work in that area causes that change in student behavior, then that falls for me under that that category of a growth goal.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think with the work that you did, there were quite a few of us who were in, um, well, there's many of us who've done lots of of different courses and things that you've offered, but particularly the the work you did, I think it was last summer, summer before last, around really the learning production behaviors, right? So if this is what I want to see in the classroom, then what do kids need to be doing to get to this result? So helping our teachers to create goals and kind of back map that to, okay, well, this is what I want to see. Don't just say, I want to increase critical thinking in my classroom. What What is... That mean, right? So what does that look like? And we needed to have those conversations with people. We did do a mid-year reflection, both on program pathway and individual goal, right? And so uh, we made some predictions as a team around program. So generally speaking, people are are happy with the shift to to a growth model. They feel like. They were listened to. They feel like they have a, a fairly high degree of choice. Um, they they feel pretty good about that. They feel like they need a little bit more time, but within the and within the constraints of the time that we have, um, we're we're honoring our agreements towards that. The pathways we have the most positive feedback from the CFG pathway. Perhaps that is just because of the skill of the facilitators and the structured protocols that are in use. It could also be the people who are in that pathway. There's all kinds of things. So we did see a bit more success with that. There were a smaller number of people in that one. However, one of the pieces of feedback that we got, which both overjoyed me and broke my heart at the same time was that people were saying we need stronger facilitators so when i'm when i'm collaborating with these three or four people somebody needs to you know like we we have to have processes for how we're talking to each other some of us might not have worked together and part of me was like oh i'm so sad they don't have that and then the other part of me is like i am so happy they recognize the value in that and therefore they recognize they don't have it that means we're doing something right <laughs> so yeah. that was a, that was to me a good thing um uh, people's reflections Really, we just had it so that, I mean, I have access, I can see them, but the principals looked at the reflections of of the people in their school. We gave teachers the opportunity to revise their goals mid-year as well if they're seeing that, number one, it needed a little refinement and or what they were learning about their students prompted a shift, so there was that. We made a commitment to ourselves by April, so essentially when we come back from spring break, to pretty much have an idea of what we're doing next year. I think it will be some minor shifts. I think we will continue to have three pathways. I think that we will invest much more heavily on the front end and supporting people with those hunches, hypothesis, goals that they come up with. And I think that that will lead to greater success.
0: Well, you know, wrapping us, uh, wrapping us uh, up here, that 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 statement you're making is making a ton of sense, and I'm, I'm kind of running it through two thoughts in my head. The, the first is as as I got to be at the conference and listened to the other innovative strands, uh, I, I I was driven to see the 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 overlap. So we. We, we can't move in the direction for what we want to have happen for kids without having that happen for for, for staff. And I, I think you've just hit on it with the goals. If we're going to move toward student agency and student empowerment, it, it, it all has to connect back to the kids' ability to set a, goals, uh, to set desired outcomes, to, to be reflective and learn learn along the way, and that piece that kids need comes pretty close to modeling exactly what teachers need. So tough to give kids agency if kids aren't engaged in a goal and a desired outcome, and the ability to map a plan to get them there. And so it's the same piece we need to put in play for the teachers.
1: Absolutely, and you said it best on stage when we were in in Dubai. You said, you know, because we were the fir- we were the first group to present, and then the last group to provide feedback and tuning for another group. And you said, you know, they're at the end of the day. A lot of this is coming together to me. These these are tools, sort of. And I can see a, a personalized growth model for educators as a tool to achieve the outcomes that we want for students and the learning environment that we want. So again, it's practicing what we preach. If we say that we want kids to have authentic audiences, to have choice, to demonstrate their learning in different ways, to think about and know themselves and know what they need to learn and why, why on earth wouldn't we do the same thing for the educators in our building? That What we should be doing and they appreciate that and feel like there is there is choice embedded and even those I mean I'm essentially an introvert but working around something like this tuning my ideas with somebody else is absolutely the way I get to my best work to say oh well what about this oh and you get to that third fourth fifth tenth iteration and that's how you get to that the idea of like Ron Berger's beautiful work. You get to the beautiful work piece and it is through collaboration. And collaboration is this thread that runs through every single part of our school and all of our foundational documents. And we are the American community school. Community is so important. And so why wouldn't we then have the vehicle by which we are all continuing to grow each and every day be built on community. So I think that it does, you you were making all those connections as you saw the different strands. And we were lucky at that NISA conference in Dubai, we had 20 people there in each of the four innovation pathways. And there were some, some through lines in that work that could come together and a couple of those folks like they were there showcasing and tuning work that was a part of their professional growth plan
0: right well jen i really appreciate you giving us the time here what's uh what's a uh a way that uh listeners who have a question or want to ask more details about uh about one of your pathways or experiences uh, can best uh connect with you
1: they can always find me on Twitter at Jen Ricks. That's an easy way to find me. It's probably easier than spelling out my very long email address. But <laughs> okay. Jen Ricks on Twitter is pretty daggone easy.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, are you comfortable with your email? We'll go ahead and stick that in the, lead, in the podcast lead and people can find it. Okay. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Of All course. Right.
0: We'll do that. Thank you so much.
1: Thank you. I've enjoyed it. And you have certainly been a big part of our partnership and helping to push our thinking. And you were the one who really said, "Um, don't you think that you're you're building more coaching and you're saying that's so important. Why would you kind of leave that part out of the beginning? So you've been a wonderful, critical friend for us in asking lots of really timely questions along the way. And so I value your support along the way it was a great partner for it. So thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. You can subscribe to Steve Barkley ponders out loud on iTunes and Podbean. And please remember to rate and review us on iTunes. I also want to hear what you're pondering. You can find me on Twitter at Steve Barkley, or send me your questions and find my videos and blogs at BarkleyPD.com.